X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Monday, August 17th. The team is taking a well-deserved break. Thank you, team, so very much. We will still be delivering you some version of a daily episode every Monday through Friday. Today, back in the day, August 17th, 1775, Bruno de Jezeta y Guitia, a Spanish naval officer, became the first person to map and record a written description of the entrance to the Columbia River. He observed it at latitude 46 degrees 11 minutes, a large bay that I named Bahia de la Asuncion. Jezeta's map named Cabo de San Roque, which corresponds to today's Cape Disappointment, actual latitude 46 degrees 17 minutes, and Cabo Frandoso, which corresponds to Point Adams on the Tillamook Head. Jezeta also wrote, These currents in the seething waters lead me to believe that the bay may be the mouth of some great river or some passage to another sea. Today, back in the day, August 17, 1907, Pike Place Market opened. The popular tourist attraction in Seattle is now a registered historic district. And today, back in the day, August 17, 2012, gay pride events were banned for a century in Moscow. Today, we have an interview with Dave Dahl, the founder of Dave's Killer Bread, part of our Most Interesting Person in Portland series. This interview was from before COVID times, and it gives a taste of Dave and his journey. You're listening to Portland's Most Interesting Person. I'm Jeff. I'm talking to Dave Dahl of Dave's Killer Bread. Jeff, you are the most interesting person in Portland. <laughs> you misunderstand the title. <laughs> That's what it sounded like. I am merely a vessel. <laughs> Soon you will be listening to the most most interesting person in Portland, Dave Dolph, Dave's Killer Bread. The basics of your story are pretty well known. The basics of your story launched a $300 million bread empire. I don't know how many bread empires there are, but the... Who would have guessed it? I mean, who would have chosen that as a way to, you know, make a fortune? It, it, nobody would have thought that was a great idea. You know, say, hey, you're going to make big money in bread. What's something that people don't know about this story? There's a lot of darkness that led to me using drugs. And the cool thing about all of that is that the adversity that I experienced resulted in success. I mean, it, it made me successful before I ever had any money. It was the advent of humility and acceptance that gave me courage and made every day successful whether I had any money or not. So you, were, you, you grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist bread, bakery family, yeah? Yeah. The you have a 15 year period, correct me where I'm wrong, 15 year period of in and out of jail. Well, 15 years actually inside, and that was over maybe 20, 22 years. Got it. As you think back, you know, some people will say, well, okay, uh, drugs and alcohol are an issue, people do stuff when they're on, you know, using drugs and alcohol. Some people say, well, no, no, the drugs and alcohol are also have a root 
you know, sort of a shared root. As you sort of piece together what was going on during those 22 years, what insight have you gained uh, to explain? Or has it been more important just to say that's something that happened and I got to keep it moving? I got to not consider that. No, I think about it um, because every everything in my life matters. Everything in every experience matters, adds up to who I am today. And so I have to look right in the face of the, the pain and, you know, the mistakes and all of that. If we look at drugs and the reason for drugs, well, for me and for a lot of people, they go hand in hand with mental illness. But, you know, it's not like you have to be a schizophrenic. You have to have a serious, serious mental illness for for that to happen. Mental illness, I believe, everyone experiences at one point or another in their life. It's like a, a cold. That's that's the that's the limited. That's the, the smaller kind of mental mental illness that we all experience. It's like depression, anxiety. Those are things that can hold you back. But if you understand and, and accept that you have these weaknesses or moments in your life, you can learn so much from it and. But for me, I didn't understand it. I was just like, I, I, my life sucks. That's why I'm depressed. I mean, and there's no, it's, it's not the other way around. And I thought it was the other. I thought it was that. I thought it was the circumstances that made my life suck, and it was really my mind. How do you know when what's going on is, is a bent part, is a, is something related to mental illness rather than just, well, I'm bummed out because some stuff happened. How do you piece that together? Or what's your tip for now, either in your life, how you say, how you take a breath and say, okay, this is, this is me doing this. This is not just something happening to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, How do you catch it? Awareness. I think it takes practice. It takes, uh, it takes cognitive restructuring. You know, I, I learned that term in prison, actually. Uh, it's one of the things that in prison that they do actually do for you if you're open, if you're open-minded to, to change. You take advantage of every opportunity that comes. So, uh, I'm more aware now of the things that hold me back. And I see it in other people all the time. It's thinking errors. You know, it's just used to making this detour all the time that, that screws up your head and screws up your trajectory. The less you have of those thinking errors, which are akin in my mind to mental illness, because you're not being your full self. You're making these errors, that these excuses, these uh, blame, this all these negative emotions, resentment, all these things just hold you back. Give me an example of like a mental error that either you had before or that you still have that you've got to catch. Mm-hmm. Resentment is a big one. Uh, anger. Uh, I don't. I don't feed into anger very often. It doesn't last very long if it does. I. I just go. Well, this isn't going to serve me. I'm capable of doing that now because maybe just because of my my life the way it's been. But I think anybody can can do it. Uh, if they if they really want to and they're willing to do the work, uh, but but I still have resentments that relate to maybe the company Dave's Killer Bread that I that I just can't quite. I, I look at it and I go, okay, that's there. I cannot say I cannot tell that to go away, and I can't. Yeah, for, fix it. for example, what's what's one of them? Well, as the company got to be a certain size, which. You know, in my wildest dreams, I never imagined. 
I loved what I did. I loved my bread. I loved the whole thing. You know, I at the farmers markets, all these things. I mean, there was a point in Dave's Killer Bread that lasted years that was beautiful beyond expression. And um, I actually was looking at some old video of, of those times just recently, and I was just going, man, that was cool times. But I go, I, I tell myself, it, these days can be just as cool. Um, and they are, they're just, they're just different days. So I, I look at that, and then I see how things got interrupted. They were changed. They, things changed. Yeah, what were the bigger. things? What were the things that changed? Well, dynamics of... Uh, of things, and I, I was drinking, so I was compromising my situation. I was giving my detractors, my haters, <laughs> ammunition, you know. And uh, it just there's it, the people who abandoned me because I made mistakes. It's hard for me not to resent that after the, all the work that I did, all the good work that I did. I'm gonna make a guess of the arc. An entrepreneur starts thing. As you say, you're going to farmer's markets, it feels like a beautiful thing. It starts to grow. Some of the elements of that growth go beyond what you thought it would be and go beyond maybe even some of the elements you've been trained for. Right, absolutely. But how did that manifest itself? What are some of the things you weren't ready for? There's quite a few. Uh, but if you, it, it, they all would have been, I got, I got to make the caveat that if, I hadn't been drinking. If I hadn't chosen to become a partier, a lot of this stuff wouldn't have happened. I remember there was a time when a friend of mine, longtime friend, but really more of a dope buddy from back in the day, but you know, it's kind of, there's a blurry line there, yeah. especially after many years and you know, a lot of changes and yeah. things are happening. I still, somebody I cared about though, we went up to my cabin. There was a bunch of us that went up to my, I have a cabin on Mount Hood and we were drinking and we were having a great time but this guy ended up leaving long story short and he was dead 47 days later or something of that wow. sort they found him on Springwater trail and you know there was a needle lit next to him and nobody knows i mean i don't know exactly what happened but a lot of people people went on facebook his family went on Facebook and they started accusing me of killing him. Like, oh, this guy had something on Dave. And I mean, great story. Yeah, mm -hmm. Dave obviously had to take him out because there was he knew some secret of his. And I'm like the most transparent person in the world. Everybody knows everything about me mm -hmm. um, that they want to know. I don't hide anything. So um it was weird. It was just really strange to me to be in that situation. And and if you can imagine what the company felt like when they saw these things happening, mm -hmm. you know, people coming on Facebook and accusing me of murdering people, and you know, this this stuff didn't go away. And then Willamette Week, you know, after the incident happened in 2013, which was basically a result of resentment and anger. So you're pissed at the company. The you, you're feeling like you're almost like a, an unappreciated parent. It's like I did all this work to do this thing, yeah. and now they're doing stuff that I don't like. Probably people in the company are feeling uh, are feeling like, okay. We want Dave's story. We want his uh, his caricaturized or di idealized uh, drawing on the packaging. Mm -hmm. 
but we don't necessarily want the fa- we don't necessarily want the stuff that comes with it after that story. We want yeah. that story to have a perfect ending perfect. And, and and put a bow on it and keep moving forward. And it, and you go into a store and what and back in 2013 there was this been written about. But remind people what happened. In 2013, I went into the store. We I call it Bread Quarters, uh, Killer Bread Quarters, there in Milwaukee, and I I realize now that I was pretty pent. I had a lot of energy that was not going in a good direction. I I was just kind of like laughing and joking, but I know there was something behind it. I saw this cardboard cutout of myself in the store, and I'd been looking at it for years, but. It, it occurred to me that I had been banned from the company and my own employees, my own world. They, I'd been told I can't come back there, uh, and uh, at least for this period, I was on this sabbatical. And, and that was due to <laughs> alcohol complications. And it's really hard to justify or rationalize or whatever, all that stuff. But... And you were getting drunk and doing dumb stuff. And yeah. people said, stay the hell away from here. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. I was doing some dumb stuff, but I wasn't doing criminal stuff. Yeah. So I, I went in there uh, and saw the cardboard cutouts, life size, and I socked it. You know, I punched it. Because I'm like, this guy can be here, but I can't. <laughs> Something ain't right about this. <laughs> you know? And it, and that was my, my justice, my little... Did it feel like you were punching the company? Did you feel like you were punching yourself? Did you feel like you were just like doing a goofy thing in a store? Yeah. I never thought that that cardboard, I never liked it. To me, it was commercialism or something. I, at that time, it always meant a lot to me to, to be real. And, and this was the exact opposite of that. This is this cardboard cut out of me. And so uh, it, it, I would have never punched it except that it was like, okay, if I can't be here, either can you. That was sort of the mentality. And and part of that, I mean, part of that's a diversion to your own story, but part of that's the challenging thing, it seems to me, for other people who start stuff, right? You sort of, you start the thing, it starts to get a life of its own, and then if that life starts to depart from you, right, how do you reach a place of zen to say, okay, well, that's what it is now. The kid has gone to college. The kid has got its own job. The kid is making its own mistakes, right? How do you, how do you, have you reached that point of zen? What's driving you nuts now? How do you do it? Yeah, I have. Um, 90, 99%. Yeah. <laughs> You're not saying you might not punch another side. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, there might be an appropriate moment. You know, the real truth on that is, okay, 2013, the cops, that same night, same day I punched this cardboard statue, I got beat up by, <laughs> I got punched about 50 times by a cop, mm. right? Uh, but it wasn't like uh, something else, other things didn't kind of lead up to that, and it was a weird day. Uh, it's all available online if you really want to <laughs> read about it. I, I personally can't stand reading about it, sure. so because there's really not a whole lot of truth <laughs> out there, so... Anyway, at that time, see, I was manic. That was the most unhealthy mentally I've ever been. And I was, um, I didn't know I could be bipolar. I didn't even know what bipolar was. I knew depression, I experienced that, and I had medication for that, which had helped me over the years. But uh, when I, when that happened, it was like something beyond my normal, mind and it wasn't there was no criminal intent nothing like that 
it was just a, a weird set of circumstances and um, ultimately I take responsibility for everything I do so I have to in this case but after that it took me a couple weeks just to come down from the manic mindset the mind condition for you it was pretty clear that was a manic episode absolutely yeah. I, mean, I don't know what else to call it it was there was a point where my mind I was sitting in a jail cell and looking at the clock and the clock wasn't moving I I would have all this cr this crazy turmoil going on in my mind thinking a bunch of times passed and things are gonna get better look up at the clock it's still the same time yeah your brain's going that fast yeah. I don't even know how how to explain that you know but that's the the feeling that I had and it took me just it took me 24 hours just to be able to sleep and to to get off of this this painful mind thing and then when I woke up I'm looking at TV stories about me running to all these cops and you know all this crazy stuff happening and I'm just like how do I do this I mean my life was great how does this happen at first, I was just angry at the cops. I was just, I had this whole thing where it's not my fault, you know. Yeah. Eventually, you know, I realized the healthy thing to do was to look at me. And my and after two or three weeks, I was uh, let go of the, Cedar, I went to Cedar Hills Hospital, checked myself in on my attorney's advice, went to Cedar Hills Hospital and spent two or three weeks there, got diagnosed as bipolar and started a whole new world. I eventually got convicted, except for insanity, they call it, of assault charges. I would have never pled to those charges if I didn't really have a choice, you know. Yeah. It's no contest. Say but, more about that. When you say you wouldn't have pled guilty if you didn't have a choice, what do you mean? Well, because I wasn't guilty of that. You know, yeah. I wasn't assaulting. You know, you, when you assault someone and the, the law says you have to have intent, there was no intent. But to argue that in court is a whole other matter. And and you, if, if you had contested it, if you had pled not guilty, your, your concern is you could have been convicted and gone, gone back for a long time. Yeah, I've gone to prison and that would have been a complete waste and, and pointless, you know, because yeah. I'm not a criminal anymore. You would have had to start a whole new company and come out and start, you know. Start yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have an even better story now. <laughs> yeah, I always, uh, on the back of my bread, it, it said, uh, I, I said, I'm a four-time loser who, who realized he was in the wrong game, right? Yeah. And then I would have been a five-time loser. Yeah. And it sort of been better. It's right? muffins. Yeah. <laughs> it's always, no, I can't use the killer anymore. So so that, so you signed that away. When you when you sold when you sold your stake, sold about $300 million, You and as part of that deal, you can't. You, you, there's some covenant not to compete. You can't create Dave, Dave's killer mushrooms, Dave's yeah. killer, you know, office chairs. There's a lot of weird things that I, there's a lot of things I can't do, um, but I do have the rights to my story, you yeah. know. I get to tell my story as long as it's true, and that is all I've ever done is tell the truth on my story. So um, that's why they're, you know we're going to do a documentary. I'm yeah, you're going to say that. yeah, you have the rights to your story, which means you can not only can you have this conversation, but you can do a documentary if you decide to do that. Because after 2013, you're saying off air, you said you're now escaping your hermitage. You yeah. after that, you kind of hid away a little bit. It took me years to. I I was like, I want to heal, you know. I, I don't want, I don't, whatever this was just drove me over the edge. I, I need to do something, you know, I need, I need to get 
come to terms with this and, and get my stuff together. And so eventually I got into this crazy African art. You know, I started yeah. I, I started collecting masks and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm collecting African art and I've gotten like thousands and thousands of pieces. Now that was going too far, right? Obviously, but at first and even for a long time, it was really just a, a way to um, forget about me. African art has nothing to do with me. You know what I mean? It's in Africa and it's masks. Yeah. It's like people, are, that's what people are, what is the connection? You know, there is none. And that's what and I That's what the connection was. I think that's what. It was the I, furthest thing away, the furthest yeah. art you could get. I didn't have to think about me. And eventually, a years into it, like, well, now I want to think about it. I want to, This it basically started at the end of last year. I was like, okay, I'm going to refocus and I'm going to kind of take up where I left off passionate about doing things that make a difference you know and this is one of the things I'm so fascinated about is that most of our narratives who's to say I'll say a lot of our narratives are constrained by or shaped by the 90 to 120 minute movie length or the 22 to 30 minute sitcom length or the 300 to 450 page novel length and generally the beats that one wants is a Seventh-day Adventist kid from a bakery family who gets into trouble does bad stuff comes to Jesus maybe not religiously but in peace with himself does an interesting productive thing for society happy ending the two hours or the 22 minutes or the 350 pages is now complete What's interesting to me, though, is we were at the beginning, we were at the middle, and we are at the end still human, still making mistakes. It's not like, oh, we were messed up, and now we're perfect. It's an ongoing, messy story, even for the most perfect seeming among us. Yeah. Well, I, that's, that was the struggle for, for me for a while. I remember the depression after that two or three weeks of, of mental anguish or, you know, it wasn't anguish, it was mania, so I was actually pretty happy, surprisingly, after that incident. Then all of a sudden there was a crash. I read the Willamette Week article, it was called Breaking Bread. Was, you know, it had the Breaking Bad logo, and I was, I was unable to be interviewed for it because I was in no shape to be interviewed, according to my attorney, and he was right. But I read that article thinking, oh, this would be funny. And it knocked me Wasn't funny. right down. And it was the first time I'd ever seen negative stuff about me other than those people coming on Facebook that I couldn't handle, you know, that it was it was too hard to handle. I felt like I'd let everyone down. And and that was a big community that I let down. It was becoming a big thing. Not only had I let the company down, I let the, the employees down and the entire community and the world in my in my mind and not only that I let, I, it's like how can I ever overcome this you know I was so depressed my girl my my girlfriend uh, she was she was getting sick of it I was so depressed you know she finally just said you know you can't let this define you you know this is this doesn't define you look at all of the things that you've done she'd been with me all these years she said, you know, you, you've got to get past thinking about this being the end, you know. And uh, it still took me a long time from that point on to, to overcome it. But I did come out of my depression, 
and I haven't been depressed since. I just, I, I just go, hey, it's okay. After the bipolar diagnosis, you have to take bipolar meds to not only deal with depression but also deal with the ups. That's what they say they're giving me. I don't know how much that makes a difference. I think that uh, for me, what works at this point, I think the depression meds are really vital. But the other side of it, you really just got to take care of yourself and how? Be, be aware. Well, I uh, sleep, get my sleep. Um, I don't let my mind go into places that aren't aren't okay because that that can you know negativity any kind of negativity i just don't do it i don't have time for it so and, so. and that's part of what i'm curious about is how do you start how do you start training your own brain how do you start uh when you say i don't let my mind do it what do you do in order to not let your mind do it and how is that different from how you dealt with it six or 26 years ago well 20 years ago see what's the date what is it now so 20 years ago 1998 and I was in the I was at my worst point you know uh, depressed I was depressed I was in prison I was coming off drugs I, I I was at I was like four years this is my fourth time I am not gonna make it as a criminal so what am I I don't got nothing else either so that's that was where I was. I was really depressed. Ocean's and Eleven isn't calling. No, it's not putting I'm, you to the I'm not to, to hit a casino. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not the high level, you know, <laughs> high quality uh, criminal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not a killer criminal. <laughs> Discount criminal, high end bread. Understood. Yeah. yeah. What's something that you hope, and thanks for being so generous with your time, uh, what's something that you hope that people who are wanting a restart, somebody wanting to hopefully have a high bottom, uh, what's something you, you hope that they take away from your story or take away even just from this conversation? That's really important. Um, the power of humility, the power of uh, acceptance, you know, the courage that those things give you when you just say, this is who I am, no more, no less, um, and how, how great it is just to be exactly who you are. And then you start right where you're at and you start working on things. And you choose the positive. Every, every chance you get, every, thing, every time you can muster it, you choose the next positive thing and do the next right thing. This is what I try to do you know, now, and I've been doing it for a long time. And as long as I don't drink, you know, I don't get in trouble. <laughs> so um, I I think that is, is really what it's about is that, you know, there's hope for everyone, but you have to be able to leave behind whatever it is that's holding you down. People choose those. That you're choosing to be held down, to be to this negative choice that's keeping you from being the best you can be. Whether you rec whether a person recognizes it or not, that's what's happening. So once we realize we have the power within us to change our lives, then and it's our responsibility 
actually. It's our responsibility. And then once we figure out how we can change our lives, then we start feeling like we can help others. And that's what it's been. That's what the Dave's Killer Bread experience was really about for me. It was really much more than the bread. Although it wouldn't have been shit without the bread. You know, there's so many things opening up right now because I've decided to come out of Hermitage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, welcome out of Hermitage. Welcome to X-Ray. Thank you so much for taking the time. We've been talking to Dave Dahl. I'm Jeff. Dave Dahl, Portland's most interesting person. You got any last word? Any final thought? Yeah, Jeff, Jeff uh, Smith, uh, the world's most interesting person. <laughs> We're cutting that out. That's not, that's not making it into the end. All right, Dave Dahl, thank you so much for taking the time, man. to Dave for joining The Local. And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in just about 30 minutes. Thank you for subscribing, giving us your review, and sharing with friends. And thank you, democracy. We'll talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.